Tete, and welcome to History of Estonia podcast, episode 18, The Swedish Era, part 1. In the last two episodes, we learned about the Livonian War, and what countries fought in it, and some of the key people that were involved in the war. This time, we start to cover an era of relative peace and prosperity in Estonia. Don't get me wrong, the peasants still have it tough, but life improves for a little while at least. The Establishment of Swedish Rule Over All of Estonia With Sweden now in control over all of Estonian territory on the mainland, a new administration developed. This new administration will remain unchanged for a long period of time, even after Swedish rule was over. As it was earlier, the Estonian territory was not formed into one administrative whole, but remained divided into two provinces. The four northern regions of Lanama, Harju, Jarva, and Viruma formed the Estonian province. The Livonian province, with Riga as its capital, consisted of territories conquered from Poland and southern Estonia, and there were two regions. Parnu and Tartu were combined into one district, and the other district being northern Latvia. Sarama was united with the Swedish possessions only as a result of the Brahmasbro Treaty with Denmark in 1645. It then formally belonged to the Livonian province, but con continued to maintain its special status. Distinct from the other districts, Sarama had its own lord lieutenant, nobility, and church administration, and its tax structure remained different from the Livonian and Estonian regions. The island of Ruhnu, which belonged to the Diocese of Koronia, was the last piece of Estonian, Estonian territory to fall under Swedish rule following the Oliva Peace Treaty in 1660. Swedish rule did not reach as far east as Setuma. The southern corner of Estonia remained under Russian control. The king was responsible for appointing the governor-general of the Estonian and Livonian provinces. The governor-general of Estonia lived in Tampea Castle in Tallinn, with the governor-general of Livonia being located in Riga Castle on the banks of the Daugava River. The governor-generals commanded and armed forces on their territory, appointed and inspected the work of civil servants, and audited the province's income and expenses. In addition, the governor-generals also were responsible for postal services, roads, and bridge maintenance and public order. In addition to the governor-general and other Swedish state officials, the local nobility and town councils also exercised certain powers. In the 1630s, a Livonian nobility developed alongside their Estonian counterparts, which had grown out of the Haryu-Viru vassalage. The island of Sarama, while under Danish rule, an independent nobility was formed and it survived the unification with Swedish-held lands. The, the nobility united local landowners, defended their rights before the Swedish state authorities, and at the same time, solved all local problems that did not directly belong to the sphere of interest of the king and the governor-general. Members of the nobility gathered roughly every three years at Dietz, which, as a reminder, was a deliberative assembly. Between these three-year periods, when the Dietz met, 12 councillors 
or six in Saruma's case, were elected for life from among the most respectable noblemen, and the Diets managed the affairs of the nobility. While the, while the magistrates usually discussed the most important matters, the head of the nobility had to solve everyday problems. New magistrates were usually elected from among former marshals. The judicial system set up under Swedish rule stayed in place until the end of the 19th century. The judges were elected from among local landlords. Their job was to arrest and return fugitive peasants, to investigate minor crimes committed by peasants, and to punish those convicted. The district court investigated the cases of peasants and other commoners. Serious offenses and all cases brought by noblemen were reviewed at the provincial level at the Estonian Supreme Provincial Court in Tallinn and at the Livonian High Court, which operated in Tartu. The Swedish king was the last resort of appeal for those not satisfied with the court's verdict. His decision was final. Swedish state power and Baltic nobility. Since the Estonian nobility and Tallinn had come under Swedish rule of their own free will, the privileges of local nobility and towns were more extensive than those of their counterparts, even in Sweden. Sweden's attitude toward Livonia, which was considered a, a conquered territory, was different. King Gustav II Adolf assigned Governor General Johan Skyt, spelled S-K-Y-T-T-E, to the office in Riga in 1629. His mission was to integrate Livonia into Sweden quickly by introducing the Swedish administrative and judicial system. When King Gustav II died in 1632, Skeitz's quick-paced work remained unfinished. The aristocracy that came to power in Sweden quickly reached the, an agreement with the Livonian nobility, and in 1632, Skite was recalled from Riga. The Swedish high aristocracy in the following decades acquired quite a bit more land in Estonia and Livonia and were interested in, as the Germans were, in both the preservation and expansion of noble, of, of noble privileges in the Baltic provinces. Therefore, by the middle of the 17th century, the Livonian nobility and towns gained similar rights to those of Estonia. This situation lasted until Carl, King Carl XI came to power in 1672. When a long-term armistice was finally signed between Poland and Sweden, there were probably, probably very few people that remembered the pre-war era. The land, exhausted from continuous wars, offered a depressing view for those that lived in Estonia. A great deal of farmland had not been tilled for decades and had grown over with bushes. Some towns, settlements, strongholds, manors, and villages lay in ruins. The population had fallen catastrophically. In the 1620s, the number of local peasants was estimated to be less than 100,000. In fact, th this next number may actually be a, bit hot, be a bit larger, but it is thought that over half the population had perished during the wars. The areas that were more densely populated and relatively more prosperous normally suffered most in the wars. In Yarva region, 
90% of the farms were neglected. The outskirts of Tallinn, the western, the western part of Viruma, the Viljandi region, and western Tartu region were ravaged to a similar extent. Sarama and Hiuma, the vicinity of Karksi and Helme, and the areas near the Russian border suffered minor losses only. Some peasants that fled to Russia during the war had built Estonian villages on the east side of Lake Pepsi. In the 1630s, the lands were put to use again. In order to increase the labor force quickly, landlords invited new peoples to villages, exempting the new settlers from all kinds of taxes, normally for three years. With these types of incentives, peasants from less fertile lands moved to the, to the war-ravaged but more fertile lands. It is estimated that one-third of Estonian peasants resettled in, in this time, either moving uh, in search of, new of a new home or remaining in new areas after being displaced by war. The peasants searched for better farmlands, as well as more lenient landlords. The conditions were quite favorable for moving, as in some places there were no landlords at all. In others, they had only recently moved into a new manor and were not familiar with those with the local circumstances. In the late 1630s, the population of Sarama made up about a quarter of all Estonians. A significant amount did move to freelands on the mainland, however. They usually settled in the regions of Lanama, but sometimes even in eastern Estonia. During the wars, landlords in Lanama had already attempted to forcibly settle people from Sarama. In the second quarter of the 17th century, many foreigners arrived in Estonia. In some places, they even formed the majority of the population, settling in many empty villages close to one another. There is more precise data available in South Estonia concerning these locations of settlements. As much as 17% of the peasants that uh, there were immigrants. It is estimated that the figure was probably probably about the same in northern Estonia. It probably comes as no surprise that the nationality that made up most of the foreigners making their way to Estonia were Russian. Crafts, craftsmen, merchants, and fishermen also came from Russia. In general, the, the Russians lived in eastern Estonia, for example, in Alutaguse, but also further from the border. Later, at the end of the 17th century, the so-called Old Believers, Russians who were persecuted for opposing reforms in the Russian Orthodox Church, settled on the northern and western coast of Lake Pepsi. Finns also made up a large number of newcomers in Estonia. They settled in, vill in villages in Viru, where they made up 20% of the population, and Haryu regions, where they made up 12%. A segment of the Finns were settled by state authorities, while others left Finland to avoid compulsory military service. At first, the Swedish kings disallowed the ensurfment of Finnish peasants. In the course of time, such royal interference diminished, and the Finns were for forced to, fully, uh, to fulfill heavy manorial burdens as well. Latvians, who mainly settled in the vicinity of Volga, formed the third biggest group of newcomers. In all, at least 10 members of 10 foreign nations lived among Estonian peasants. 
In addition to those previously mentioned, there were also groups of Poles, Germans, Lithuanians, Swedes, Hungarians, and even some Dutch and Scots. These new foreigners arrived in a time span of several decades and typically lived among Estonians, and they soon adopted the local language, customs, and way of work. They were mostly all adopted into the local culture by the 17th century. Only some Russian villages, including those on the coast of Pepsi, remain unchanged. Despite a significant flow of foreign immigrants, the native population itself had the final say in their preservation. After the end of the wars, the number of Estonians grew rapidly. The people that survived were mostly young, and that proved to be vital in repopulating the country. Nothing hindered the establishment of new families, as as there was plenty of free land. Former cottagers got their own farms, though at times the landlords forced some of them into farming. Favorable circumstances supported the high birth rate. Events of the Russian-Swedish War in 1656-58. The plague of 1657 and other calamities caused setbacks. Due to to these reasons, reasons, the population growth paused temporarily. But by 1695, the Estonian population is estimated to have been over 350,000 people. The land was reportedly full of children. While according to the peace treaty, Estonia, Livonia, and Ingria belonged to Sweden, this outcome didn't satisfy Russia, Poland, nor Denmark. In 1655, the Swedish king Karl X, Gustav, waged a campaign in the course of which he occupied Koronia, Lithuania, eastern Prussia, and a great part of Poland. The Baltic Sea was becoming Sweden's internal sea. The Russian Tsar Alexei I Mikhailovich was especially unhappy because Lithuania, which he had regarded as his future possession, had fallen into the hands of the Swedes. In late autumn of 1655, the Russians started to prepare extensively for a secret attack on Estonia, Livonia, and Ingria. In the early summer of 1656, the Tsar initiated war, hoping to at last to conquer the lands that remained out of Russia's grasp. Attempting to, to, attempting to secure a convincing victory, he directed the siege of Riga in person. However, Riga withstood the siege. The taking of Tartu in the autumn of 1656 was his largest victory. The stronghold of Vastelina and Vasknarva also fell in Russian hands. At the end of 1658, an armistice was signed in the village of Valisare near Narva. However, Russia was forced to conclude a final peace in Karde in 1661, as Sweden ridded itself of its opponents in the south and threatened, threatened an attack. Therefore, Russia had to abandon its conquest in Estonia and Livonia. Sweden had reached the pinnacle of its power. Strengthening of Royal Power, Everyday Life under Swedish Rule In the year 1660, the four-year-old Karl XI came to the Swedish throne. He ruled in his own right in 1672. 
bringing with him a remarkable change in the relations between the crown and the nobility in the Baltic provinces. A decision of the Swedish parliament in 1680 extended the reduction to Estonia and Livonia. This step, this step by Swedish parliament triggered strong opposition among the Baltic nobility, who regarded the reform as not only detrimental to their economic interests, but also a violation of their rights. The nobility believed that only local diets were entitled to legislate. After the parliament gave the, the king full powers to carry out the reduction in 1682, it became much more difficult for the Baltic nobility to oppose. Only the, only the manners given to nobility during Swedish rule were subject to reduction, however. The local nobility of Livonia had received more grants giving them these new lands and were now being demanded back. Therefore, there were more unhappy nobles than there was in Sweden, and they were being vocal about their dissatisfaction to the king. This had the, un the unintended result of making the king furious, and he ordered that not only was the land that was given to the nobles during the Swedish era to be returned to the state, but also lands given to the no nobles before the Swedish era were demanded back as well. Therefore, four-fifths of the land were subject to reduction in Livonia. In Estonia, the figure was 54%, and in Sarama, 30%. The manors which were taken back were usually rented to their former owners, who had, uh, who had to give part of their income as rent to the Swedish state. The Swedish king's plan did achieve its goals of increasing income significantly. With these extra funds, investment was made into the education system, and it improved. The reduction did not change the status of manors taken back by the states only. The manor, which remained private property, were once again subject to feudal law. This was achieved because the landowners were not permitted to sell their goods in a private market. All transactions now required royal approval. Thus, state control was established over all landed property of the Baltic manors. We will leave our timeline here for the time being, and when we meet next time, we will continue to delve into the Swedish system of government and what it's like in Estonia and Livonia. I estimate that it will probably take two more episodes 